Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Hey, well, good morning, 9 a.m. I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. And uh, during our My City Mixtape series, you had an opportunity to hear from several different speakers today. How many of you guys enjoyed last week? I got to hear from incredible leaders within our church. I heard some great uh, messages that were preached. I'm excited to see what God does in and through each and every single person uh, that shared this uh, pulpit last week. And and today, um, I I have the opportunity of sharing the word with you today, um, not necessarily out of, of plan, but more so out of conviction, uh, my wife and I, my wife Kelly and I, we were talking last week and um, we had something different in mind and we felt like it would be pertinent uh, for me to share the word with you today. And uh, I think it's a word that is important for our church to hear and for us to know, especially like how do we handle uh, what's going on in the world today and what it really is the, the role of the church. How do we respond to, to certain rhetorics that are going around, and I can't help but think with what's going on, not necessarily with the world, but the way that the world is impacting the church, and and how the church is responding to the world, and I can't help think but a better verse to share with you today as the, to cover up the whole message today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Now, I don't have any scriptures on the back screen today. Uh, I don't even have a title for this message. Uh, I don't even have a list of five points on how to be a better Christian. Um, But my goal is that you really, more so that you hear God's heart in Scripture. And I'm going to do my best to communicate uh, God's heart. Excuse me. And I pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. You have a moment to turn there. We won't jump right into it. And uh, I'm I'm really going to be tackling some arguably controversial issues uh, within the church today. And I I think of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, because uh, Paul speaks of this potential, of this this controversy or things happening within the church, not necessarily outside of the church, but within the church. And and we pick up in 2 Timothy 4, 3, Paul talks to Timothy. He says, preach the word. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. So Timothy was the pastor. He was the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it's where we get the book of Ephesians from. And Paul's telling him, be ready in season and out of season, knowing that there's at all times is what he's saying. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And get this, some Christians aren't really good at this, with great patience. Some of us just cancel people right away because they may have a, a skewed perspective Uh, on Christianity or God. He says, with great patience and careful instruction. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. The time will come when they will not put up with the word of God, sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, They will gather around them a great number of teachers 
to say what their itching ears want to hear. So they find other people around them to suit their own desires. So they surround themselves with people that say what they want to hear. It's hard to be led into the truth if all the voices around your life are deceiving. So you have to be able to open your ears. You have to be able to hear. Ultimately, not what does this influencer say? What does this news network say? What does this person, my friend, or someone that I follow on social media says? But really, it goes back to sound doctrine. It goes back to, hold on a second. What does the Word of God say? Because we may think that we read the Bible. That's not the case. The Bible reads us. We cannot read our worldview into the Bible. We have to let the Bible shape our world view. A great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Turn aside to myths. Let's pray today. Father God, I thank you that your word is true. I pray that you would speak to me, speak through me today. I thank you it does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so right now, God, I pray that you'd open our ears to hear you, open our eyes to see you. God, we don't want a man's opinion. We don't want uh, uh, to follow the popular crowd or whatever they want to do. We want to follow you. And so we pray that you would speak to us today. And just right now, church, open your hands and say these words after me. Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together for the Word of God today. Amen. Come on. When I was in high school, I got my driver's license, as a typical high schooler would get. But I was also, in the moment, I was learning to interpret and understand the Lord's impressions that He puts upon my heart. Like So how the Holy Spirit speaks is He usually speaks through the Word of God, but it usually happens through impressions that you start to feel and uh, it can mess with your, your actual physical sense. So when you're disobeying the word of God, uh, you'll start to feel like sick to your stomach. You'll start to feel a pit to your stomach. Uh, and when you are in the will of God, there's, there's a type of joy, uh, incomprehensible, unexplainable, that, that you encounter by being in the will of God. Well, as a young high schooler uh, driving on the roads, I felt an impression by the Holy Spirit said, hey, hey Eli, I don't want you to speed. You go, all right, okay, God, I'm not going to speed. And in my high school days, I was thinking, today, I'm not going to speed today. And I didn't speed at all that day. But I remembered what God said to me only after the next day when I started to speed, I felt the impression of the Holy Spirit say, hey, what did I say? Well, you told me not to speed. Now, this impression, it wasn't just like a, a gentle nudge. Like, I felt the Lord's stern rebuke when I would go one mile an hour over the speed limit. Like, no joke, I would put my, my speedometer or my, uh, what is it called when you have cruise control, right? You have cruise control. I would set my cruise control to 55 miles an hour. That's the speed limit on Highway 370. And I would drive down. I'm saying, I'm in the Lord's will. I'm going 55 miles an hour. And you know, they have those little radar guns on the highway. And uh, it said 56. And I said, oh, my speedometer's off. I have to readjust to go the appropriate speed. So I actually would go a mile an hour under the speed limit 
in order to obey that impression that God put on my heart. Well, a few days goes by, and this impression is not letting up. It's a few days. It goes into a few weeks. And now it's not just an inconvenience to me. Not only do I have to leave early, because y'all know you can make it to Kansas City in an hour and a half. You really can. <laughs> so you have, to, you, have to, you have to leave a little early now to make it on time. So it's a little bit of an inconvenience to me, but I didn't realize, I started to realize the inconvenience that it was causing other people. And namely when I started to avoid the interstate, because when I would get on the interstate, I would go the speed limit. And some of y'all cursing at me right now in your hearts because you're like, you're that guy. I was listening to God. And I'm on the interstate. And there, there was people tailgating me, getting really up on the, the back end of my truck. And uh, there'd be people that would be flying by me, flipping me off. And I remember thinking, God, not that I'm going the speed limit, but more so like, God, I'm trying to obey you. And uh, I was starting to see how me obeying God was starting to upset other people. And I didn't realize the correlation that God was, was bringing into me just as a young high school student, uh, 18 years old. And I remember it was, this went on for almost a year. And I, and I remember just, I remember exactly where I was. I was at 114th and Cornhusker Road, turning left to go home. And I remember asking God, I said, God, if you don't want me to speed for the rest of my life, I won't speed anymore, but just let me know. Is this like my whole life? Like if, I, like there would be no one on the road and I would know if I was going 36 miles an hour when the speed limit was 35. Like I was that in tune and that aware that the conviction of the Holy Spirit was, was leading me. And, and I remember just asking that, God, if this is gonna be, then so be it. I'm okay with that. I just wanna know. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's all right now. You can speed. And I was like, well, God, I don't want to, like, disobey your law. Like, I'm not saying that's what God is saying. It was more so the impression that God was putting in my heart. And I was asking God, like, so, like, what was that all about? You know, 26 miles an hour and a 25, what was that all about? And I remember these words so clearly, this impression that God gave me was that I wanted to see if you would be faithful with something so trivial because there will be a time in your life when I'm going to ask you to do things that not everyone is gonna wanna agree with. I'm gonna ask you to do something that people will be on the tailgate of your car, cussing at you, flipping you off, complaining that you're driving too slow, that I'm gonna ask you to do things that people are not going to agree with. And I wanna know if you can be faithful with something so little as speeding, that if you can be faithful with the words that I'm speaking. And so that, that encompasses what I'm gonna be bringing to you today. And I ask you this question, who or what has programmed your mind? What has programmed your belief system? Is it popular opinion or the Bible? See, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, meaning that it is inevitable. They want to hear what they want to hear and turn away from the truth. The truth can be hard to hear especially if you're the one in the wrong. See, no one believes something that they do not think is true. It's ludicrous to think that. We genuinely believe that we are right. So when we hear an argument that is contradictory to our worldview, we discredit it because we have already pre-decided through a cognitive bias that we are right and they are wrong. 
That is why when you hear someone who argues about a flat earth, you think to yourself, they're crazy. If you believe in flat earth, we can have a conversation. This isn't like, this is just, a, this is just an example. But this is where the problem is at. You think they are crazy. Therefore, you seek to inform them rather than understand. See, if you never understand, you can never properly inform because you do not fully know the lies that they have bought into. You only know the lies that you see and not the lies which lay beneath their worldview. See, as a church, I'm talking about the church in the United States. We have subscribed to many lies because we have grown more attached to motivational messages, itching ears, and turned away from sound doctrine. And we have been deceived in many areas. And I believe God is calling me right now to communicate these truths with you today, especially some of the lies that we have believed about abortion. I am not communicating something that I've heard on social media. I'm not communicating something that, well, this is what this church is doing. Guys, when this was released just last week about Roe v. Wade, I had a time with God and I was saying, God, what do you want? What do you want my role to be? I'm not gauging it off of some people that are saying a whole lot, some people that aren't saying anything. I am ultimately responsible for what God is asking me to do as your pastor in this church. And I want our church to go on this journey with me and what God is doing through us. I will begin first with women who have had abortions. If you've had an abortion, can I tell you that we serve a God who forgives and you do not need to carry this alone. If you've had an abortion, I implore you to come before God, confess your sin to him, that you may be healed. You do not need to live in guilt or condemnation any longer. The devil is a liar and he wants nothing more than for you to live in bondage because of your choice. On the contrary, Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and he welcomes you with open arms. We serve a God that has completely cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. And this will always be a church that welcomes and walks alongside those who are humble in heart and honest before God. This is not a message to condemn anyone who has had an abortion, but to educate the church on how to respond to false teachers and false doctrines that are plaguing the church as of recent, and how to have a biblical worldview over a secular worldview concerning this matter. I start by asking you a question. Where did you get your belief system from? Who has influenced you? Why do you believe what you believe? See, the Bible says that Jesus came to testify to the truth in John 18, 37. The truth, which is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. To follow God, we do not follow man. God makes the rules, not us, not me. I do not care if even the government says it is okay. I don't care even if the Bible if, even if the government says, hey, this is the right, this is okay, if the Bible says it's wrong, we must follow the Bible. Even if it is a person's quote-unquote right, we are still called to stand for what the Word of God says. We have our foundation on Scripture, and we never graduate from this. We are always being transformed. I'm being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God, Romans 12, 2, and not through popular opinion not through influencers, but from the word of God. Why do you believe what you believe? And do you really believe it, or is it just because someone else believes it? 
Or maybe it's because a majority of the accounts on social media you follow believe it. Or people that you listen to say the thing, same thing over and over, and now you have adopted their thinking, but never took time to test it against the word of God. Take note of this. A truth received through the revelation of someone else is nothing more than a narrative. And a narrative is building your house on shifting sand. Truth that has got to be truth that you have tested and know. And it can only be tested and known based off of what the firm foundation is of the word of God says, not our opinions. We have got to let the word of God shape our belief, not search for our beliefs in the word. The Bible is a book that conflicts, corrects, and challenges what we believe. In some ways, it's like an anvil on which everything gets hammered out, but it does not change shape no matter how many blows it is dealt. Whether or not you believe that the Bible is the word of God to us is integrous for us to at least consider what it says. When we are dealing with important matters, as a general rule, it is best to hear both sides before rendering a verdict like any judge presiding over a court. And I'm gonna share with you just a few verses pertaining towards the evidence of life in the wound and how it pertains to abortion. I first want to establish that in Genesis 9-6, how the Bible talks about that whoever sheds the blood of a person, by a person his blood shall be shed. For God made humanity in his image. God made man in his own image. This is confirmed scientifically that a child is his own human being. He has or she has a separate DNA than that of the mother. They are their own unique person. And one of the verses that I'm seeing taken extremely out of context today is Exodus chapter one, verse 22 through 25. And it speaks of when a man strive together, basically when they're fighting together, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm to the child, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The reason why this is getting so uh, misinterpreted today is the RSV translation says that though she miscarriages, and though she may have a miscarriage, if she gets struck and she has a miscarriage, but no harm ensues, the miscarriage implies that the child dies. But that is a, an egregious misinterpretation of the scripture, and the root word has no basic meaning for the word miscarriage. I'm here to help the church identify and deal with some of the lies that we've been facing as a church. Psalm 139, 13 says, For you formed me, God formed my innermost parts, knit me together in my mother's wounds. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Jeremiah 1, 5 says that before I formed you in the wound, I knew you. So God formed us in our mother's wound. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Proverbs 8, 36, speaking about wisdom, that people do, who do not love wisdom all who hate wisdom actually love death. And this is one that I, I've, I really want to uh, 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 bring to your attention is Ecclesiastes 11.5. That as though you do not know the way the spirit comes into the bones in the wound of a woman with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. We cannot go around thinking that we have this always figured out. 
says, we do not understand how the spirit goes into a child that is in the womb, which means that that person, that child is a person. Matthew 18, 5 says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Receiving a child in my name sees that this child is a gift from God, regardless of how this child came to be, that God is able to redeem. And I wanna just highlight a few more scriptures uh, about in the New Testament that a doctor, Dr. Luke, he's, a, he's a, a, a professor or he's a doctor who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He wrote in Luke chapter one, verse 15, he was speaking about John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Luke 1, 41 through 40, and 44 says, when Elizabeth, who had John the Baptist inside of him, was saying hi to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the baby in Elizabeth's wounds leaped for joy, which means that there is something going on even inside of the womb. But there's a correlation in the New Testament regarding this word baby, both for the one inside the womb and also for the one in, outside the womb. In Luke 2, 12, it says, you will find baby, the baby, Jesus, wrapped in swaddling cloths. Jesus was already born, and it's using the same word to describe the baby in Elizabeth's womb, the baby in Mary's womb, and now when Jesus is outside the womb. Luke 12, 2, 16 says, when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, they found the baby, Jesus, living, lying in the manger. This is the same word used to describe Jesus as a baby and John the Baptist in the womb. Luke 18, 15 says, now when they were bringing infants to Jesus, that he might even touch them. Same word. Acts 7, 9, this is Stephen, the, the martyr who is professing what happened uh, to, to Egypt when they, the, to the Israelites when they left Egypt. He said that he, Pharaoh, dwelt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. That word infant is the same Greek word used to describe Jesus in the manger and John the Baptist in the womb. Scripture uses the same word, brephos, for Elizabeth's unborn child, John the Baptist, newborn baby Jesus, and also the children brought to Jesus along with the kids killed in the Old Testament. Simply put, in the divinely inspired pages of Scripture, God reveals to us that a child in the womb and a child singing and dancing around Jesus in worship are equally human beings who bear the image of God. Not to extend legal protection to pre-born children because of age, size, or phase of development is a grievous discrimination and injustice akin to racism, sexism, and ageism. God values all human life including the unborn. Bottom line, if the Bible says that the clump of cells inside, quote unquote, clump of cells inside a woman's body is a human, then we as the body of Christ need to align ourselves with what the Bible says and not with what culture says, regardless if it is their right or not. Their body, their choice has no biblical stance and is in outright opposition to the word of God. Again, this is what the Bible says. So we have the choice to align ourselves with what the word of God says or with culture and history. I've heard the argument that we are going back in time that our children will have to fight for the rights that our grandparents fought for. But I think it'll actually be the opposite, that our children will look back and come to the conclusion of how on earth did we ever think it was okay to end the life of a child in the womb. 
And regardless of how you look at the recent decision of the Supreme Court, our desires as believers is not to be on the right side of history or how culture would like to define it. Not to be on the right side of history, but on the right side of eternity. The basis of this message is not geared towards unbelievers, but actually towards those who say that they follow Christ, but have conflicting worldviews in regard to abortion. I've heard believers say a few different things regarding this topic over the last week, and this is why I feel like it's pertinent to be able to share with you today. I've heard people say that, I know God, and this is not a decision that God is for, in reference to Roe v. Wade being overturned. And my response to that is, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you are being deceived, and you do not know the right God. Your God is yourself, because you are more concerned with what you want, rather than living accountable to a holy God. You do not put up with sound doctrine, but instead suit your own desires. I've heard believers say that God is actually pro-choice because he wants us to choose life. After all, what is love if there is no choice? God did not legislate life. He gave us the choice. And I say in response to that, if abortion is murder, how can a loving God give us that choice? Not only us, but take the choice away from the helpless child in the womb. If the unborn is a human, where is their choice? And also, God did legislate life. Israel just refused to obey God and suffer the consequences for their actions. I've heard the church say that to celebrate this overturning is actually an impressive act and on all the new mothers who do not know what to do now in some states where they're not able to get an abortion. And so we should not celebrate it, but keep in mind the families that this will impact. And to that I respond as if it is if we were in the times where the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and all the slaves were declared free and some Christians came out and say, you know what? We shouldn't celebrate this occasion, but keep in mind all the slave owners who are now in need of workers to work their fields and factories. Yes, we respond in love for all people, but do not see this as worth noting. A step in the right direction is to cave to culture because we are fearful of the backlash that might ensure. My friend, abortion is not a political issue. It is a kingdom issue and should be treated as such. It is absolutely asinine to think that the church is divided on this. That if it is good for our nation. But honestly, I'm not surprised. See, as pastors, we have robbed our churches of biblical sound doctrine, which has in effect led to heretical beliefs. On the other hand, I have tremendous grace for people who agree with the teachings of the Bible, but still fall short. There is grace. There is hope. There is help. But when we out, like that's what we're here for. We all fall short time and time again. But when we outright twist and manipulate the scripture to support our worldview, rather than shape our worldview, we are in danger of misrepresenting God in order to please man. See, there is a separation that is happening within the church, a sifting that can only happen when lies are confronted by the truth of scripture. And we all have a choice to make to either follow what popular opinion says or to stand on the word of God regardless if it is promoted or persecuted. My friend, God will ask you to do things that not everyone will agree with. But you have got to make the choice. Do I want to serve God or am I here to serve man? There is an order, though. We serve God first, and we are accountable to him first. If our desires are to serve humanity first, we are in danger of compromising the word of truth we have been entrusted with. So the difference is, you are seen within the church today are being presented so that there can be a distinguishing from those who follow Jesus for what he gives them and those who follow Jesus because he is Lord. 
1 Corinthians eleven nineteen says, no doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. Matthew 13, 24, Jesus talks about, uh, he was talking, this is shortly after the parable of the sower. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go out and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you will also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but to, to gather the wheat into my barn. And we can have the, the worship come up. Sadly, I think this verse really describes the time that we're living in today. I do not see the complete purification of the church until the returning of Christ, but I'm okay with that. Because as we uproot, if we go to uproot all the terrors from the field, God says, let them grow together. There, got, there has got to be room in your heart for someone that has conflicting views to walk with them. Let them grow together, he says. But you must have the humility to ask yourself, Am I growing up as a wheat or a tear? But until then, I want you to know, I want you to know where the church is aligning itself on abortion. I think that's so important for us as a church to have. Let them grow together. Don't cancel someone just because they have a deferring view. Don't even, like, don't go and say, you know what, you're not even a Christian. Like that, like that, you don't know. They're growing. They're trying to figure it out. I think there's, there's a difference between someone that has a worldview and has been taken captive by the worldview versus someone that is purposely manipulating scripture. And I call out the leaders probably first and foremost to not take this book out of context to fit the narrative that you want to follow. I have five things in regards to our church and abortion. Number one, we believe that the unborn are still human regardless or because the Bible affirms this, science also affirms this. Number two, because the Bible and science along affirm the personhood of the unborn, regardless of their origin, whether it be rape, incest, horrible situations that grieve the Lord and us as a church, abortion is murder. The Bible, human reasoning, and natural law all tell us that murder is the greatest of evil humanity. This isn't talking about an ectopic pregnancy. That child is not going to survive. That child is not going to survive. We could get into all the little intricacies in regards to this. The bottom line is, is it a human or is it not? If it is a human, we treat it as such. If it's not, there's no telling where this leads. The church already finances more institutions to help with pregnancy crisis centers more than that of the government through Planned Parenthood. This is a fact through the United States and around the world. But we will continue as My City Church in our efforts through various agencies which seek to help women, children, and families in their time of need. Four, fathers should be held personally and financially accountable for the children that they took part in creating, whether planned or unplanned. And women should never have to bear the challenges of an unplanned pregnancy alone. We as the body of Christ should come together alongside those in need through spiritual and tangible support. And five, the responsibility of a Christian living in a democracy is to be a Christian everywhere we go, 
And that includes our civic duty to vote for people that will enact godly laws here on earth as they honor our God in heaven. I'm not here to pick a fight with you. I'm here to share the truth that the God of the universe has entrusted to me. Thomas Sowell said that when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. People will agree with you and support you as long as what comes out of your mouth aligns with their worldview. I'm not here to help myself, I'm here to help you so that you may come into alignment with what the Bible says, not with what the world says. And I close with this and you can stand to your feet. A lot of people tried to pin Jesus on what he believed and what he stood for. Jesus wouldn't give them a direct answer. Did you ever notice that? Out of, I have on here, out of 183 questions people asked, guess how many answers Jesus gave? Eight. Not only that, but Jesus asked 308 questions. Why did Jesus give questions? He says, who do you say that I am? How much bread do you have? Where is your faith? Why questions instead of answers? Because questions break through your walls and do not allow you the luxury of staying at the surface of lies. See, answers give finality. Questions breed relationships and challenges you to go to a level further than you ever thought you could go. This is why if you have a good counselor, they always ask you the question, and how did that make you Questions try to get you to move past your lame excuses to get to the root of the lies you have believed so that you may be healed in your belief. So I ask you this question. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you let yourself be influenced by influencers, politics, or friends, or social media more than you do the Word of God? And I close with you this last scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dismiss today. And uh, Ephesians 4.11 says this, that, So Christ himself gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. First and foremost, I just want to say, I'm not going to say this in the second service because of time, but a lot of people are going around canceling other pastors because they're not saying something. And then others are canceling pastors because they are saying something. And I want you to ask, I want you to just take a moment and saying that you are making a judgment based off of uh, a silence or you're making a judgment based off of uh, a small little thing posted in social media. And I would encourage you to take a moment to not prejudge another believer in Christ until you've had the moment to actually talk to them. And uh, this was something that my wife really helped me with. I was judging a, a Christian preacher for a while and I got to hear his heart a little bit. And he has great sound doctrine, but he approaches it a different way. And my wife said to me, this was a great rebuke that I heeded. By the way, husbands, listen to your wives. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And she said to me, it makes sense the way he approaches these topics because he is an evangelist. And know that there are all different parts of the body that are needed. So some people won't take a stance on certain things. They may have in their heart, 
but they have a conviction on what to share and what not to share because their role is an evangelist. Now, the Bible also has given the church, Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to be able to teach you the things of God. It says in verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So as a pastor, I got to know what is my place in the body of Christ? What is my role right here? And I'm not going to go around and cancel other pastors. Now, don't get me wrong. If they outright say something heretical, I'll call them out. Like, I don't think that's appropriate, especially one who needs to handle, correctly handle the word of truth. But at the same time, I, our church, I need you to guard your heart and don't make preconceived decisions on, on pastors, whether they've said something or not, unless you've actually had a conversation with them or they outright oppose the Bible. And then you can call them out as a false teacher, or false prophet, etc. But I'd say more times than not, I don't see that. And we jump to conclusions. And it's actually to our detriment as the house of God to have the church doing this. And the world's just watching. So there's some things we'll post on social media, some things we won't. I will not do it because someone pressures me to. I will not not do it because some pressure, someone pressures me not to. Again, I need to go back to what is God asking me to do? Because he's going to ask me to do things that some people might not like. And that's okay. And it's my hope that as our church, that we lead the way in what it looks like to really love not only the, even the house of God, but also people outside the house of God. Verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. It is crafty, it is cunning, it is deceitful. That's why it's important that you are grounded in the Word, that you have strong biblical precedence, but you also have godly leaders in your life that can help guide you and lead you into truth. Just because you saw it on the TikTok doesn't mean it's true. He says, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, that's what it is. Like, progressive Christianity is coming to the church, and we as a church have got to know how to refute these lies because they're reading their worldview into the church. If you haven't looked up what progressive Christianity is, encourage you to do so, but do so under the guides of a godly leader that can help correctly interpret scripture. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become uh, mature in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, verse 16. And from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 17. So I tell you this, this is the church at Ephesus. This is the same church that Paul was writing to Timothy about, about putting up with sound doctrine, itching ears want to hear. This is the same church that Timothy was over. This is Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, 
They have given themselves over to sensuality, their own desires, so as to indulge in every, indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. My friend, regardless of where the world goes with this, I do not care to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of eternity. So right now, I feel it's pertinent for us as a church to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, to pray for Congress, our legislature, to pray for the body of Christ, to pray for those that are, that are in a special need right now, that we as a church, I don't necessarily say the church needs to step up as much as the church just needs to be the church. And we need to walk, and this is a great opportunity for this church to shine brighter than it has ever before. So, let's pray. Father God, Heavenly Father, creator of the universe, we come before you today as your body. We pray that you would give us wisdom during this time. God, that we'd be slow to speak, quick to listen, but Father, I pray that you would also give your church a discerning heart, discerning ears, that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. God, help us as a church to put up with sound doctrine. But even at the Bereans did, that they searched out the word of truth to make sure what was being said was actually truthful. Father, I pray that you would continue to lead our government, our president, God, our senators, our Congress, God, to enact godly laws, even our Supreme Court, God, that honors you, that glorifies you. Father, we pray for our, even our local level, our legislator, our governors, state senators. Father, we pray that you would continue to lead them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead them, that they would rule and lead in a godly way. Father, I pray that they would be men and women of courage and boldness to stand for truth and to not be tossed to and fro by the pressures of society or culture but to stand on truth. And Father God, I pray for the church during this time. I pray for the pastors that are leading congregations, the evangelists, the teachers, the prophets, the apostles. God, I pray that you would give them increased wisdom during this time on how to lead the church in, in, in correctly handling the word of truth. God, in encouraging, rebuking, exhorting. Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom as well. Father, but also courage and boldness to do what they ought to do. God, not according to man, but according to you. And Father God, we pray for the church at large. God, we pray that the church would, would be a, a, a ripe wheat harvest field. God, that it, we would be able to grow up in the house of God, correctly handling the words of truth, that we'd be able to grow up in the house of God, God, being set apart for your use. God, that we would be able to be convicted, confronted. God, that we would have an open heart to be transformed into your likeness, God, that we would be ambassadors of heaven, testifying to the truth, God, and that is your grace, your love, God, and that is your redemptive purpose that you came for. And so, Father, and I also pray for my city church, that you would give us wisdom during this time, that we would know how to open up arms to a city, God, in a world that is in so desperately need of you. God, I pray that we would seize this opportunity to glorify you, and we would not let it a slip aside, God. But I see you doing something new. Your word says, do you not perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. I'm making streams in the wasteland, a pathway through the, through the forest. And so, God, I pray that as your church, God, we would not miss what you are doing 
in this day, in this season. God, and I pray for every single person that, that on the sound of my voice, that may be going through uh, a, con a conflict in their worldview or in their perception. Or in, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be near them, that as leaders in this church, we would guide them and walk with them, that not a single person would be alone on this journey. I pray that you'd give them courage to ask questions, give them courage to seek out good resources. God, not to just hide in a shell and wrestle with this themselves, but that's what the body of Christ is for, God. So we come before you, and just right now, I want you to open up your hands and say these words after me. Say, Lord, we need you right now over our nation, over our families, over our schools, over our lives. So won't you come, Lord, and as your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, you will hear from heaven and you will come and you will heal our land. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, we love you, My City Church. Again, don't do this journey alone. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Enjoy, celebrate. We look forward to having you back next week, July 10th, for our continuing of our My City Mixtape series. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.